Welcome to the Meeple Syrup After Show. I'm joined here with Dylan Kirk and Sen Fong Lim, and we're designers discussing design. We're on the episode 101, The Future Is Now. We had three fantastic guests Our last uh, during the main show. We had Mike Primo, we had Charles Wright, and we had Peter Hayward. And uh, some great discussion. Before we get into it, though, I, I just got this message, and Sen, help me out here. I'm going to do a little plug. But if you go to t1supplies.com slash pre-order, you can get a pre-order of Space Invaders dice. And if you pre-order, uh, A, you'll have my love. Uh, well, really, you'll have my love anyways. And the cool thing is you get free free shipping. So, oh, you don't have to show the video. Uh, people, people can go there and check out the video on their own if they want. Uh, but the, the cool thing is it's a Space Invaders right, roll and write game. Uh, you can play one to four players. You can check out the rules. Dan King does a, a teach video, so anyone interested can learn the rules before you order. And uh, they're also offering, if you'd like to buy, you know, organize with a few friends, you can get six copies. You get 25% off plus free shipping. So uh, please uh, check it out. There's limited quantity for the pre-order. I just got the message literally five minutes ago, so I have to go tell my mom to go pre-order a copy uh, and, and anyone else out there check it out so anyways thanks for letting me plug it uh really uh, a childhood dream if i could have if if my childhood self would know that i would have got to make a space invaders game i would have thought i am so cool so you know what my kids still don't think i'm cool no that's what i was gonna say only myself would think i would yeah exactly cool. there you go so, so. But we had this really great episode, and I, I think we got some great material. Um, actually, Dylan, you had some comments in the in the discussion, or oh, and I said statement for the after show. That's some great stuff. So why don't you start us off? Well, uh, I actually wanted to say about the whole market segmentation thing. So what I think we got during the show was an excellent overview of kind of where we are and where we will maybe be for the next couple of years. But I am. Um, I was attempting to see if maybe there was some foreshadowing with the mm -hmm. uh, conglomeration of a lot of small game companies who clearly you know, are looking to, to buy up good ideas and put the good ideas more on rails, either into IPs or their existing game kind of worlds or, or what have you. Yep. So what I'm thinking is, to what degree is this market segmentation a... A, a factor that is producing the inability for us to make evergreen great games. In effect, right. the market environment itself is forcing us to further chase that long tail and yep. look for demographics where we can sell a very particular game to a very particular set of people, know exactly what our numbers that we're going to ship are. Just like a few days ago when we, we talked to, um, now I'm, I'm going to not remember his name right now, uh, shipping in Europe, he knows exactly who his, oh, uh, Sven. his Sven, Sven, exactly. Sven, 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 that's right. He knows exactly where his mark, how many he's essentially, he knows exactly how many units he's going to move. Right. And when you make those calculations and you start going down that rabbit hole, in effect, you're seeing this dispersion, but I think the industry is going to be leading here. The industry is going to be, uh, kind of forcibly unifying the, uh, our, our games to a degree. And things like this, things like this never last. 
Yep. Like as much as we say, yeah, there may never be another evergreen game, but there are going to be, are, there's going to be a return to sure. unified market. There's, some, there's something that's going to break that rule. Like it's yes. a rule. It makes sense right now. But then when you and think you've got it all figured that. out, then you're wrong. Then, then Vlada makes another game. <laughs> right. I mean, like, I mean, that's a, I mean, even Codenames, I think Codenames is this perfect example of like CG and Vlada specifically has a niche. And so he's making game after game of people that love dungeon pets, that love, you know, dungeon lords, you know, are examples of he's, he's working to his segment. They're, they're buying the brand, right? They're buying the brand. He knows, he knows what they're making. And then all of a sudden he makes this game that he goes, wait, as much as this doesn't fit at all, I think this is a great game. We can do it well. But it's funny. It, it's it's funny because when it first play tested and you and I were there, yeah. it was like only by the end of the convention did he say, no, I think I'm going to keep this one for myself. Yeah. <laughs> no, seriously. He was legitimately just, thinking about, do I keep gonna it? He was going to sell it. He was going to yeah. sell it to, uh, you know, you know, maybe Stronghold, maybe Z-Man, anybody else but himself because it really isn't look at it if you think about it it doesn't it's make not sense. A game. no uh, but he saw how strong how strongly it uh worked for the people who played it uh, mm -hmm. and he said no we're keeping it it's off the table and, and so like i'm oh, sorry well i was just gonna add so i think it was an interesting differentiator um though that it really does have not an evergreen element to it. It's more got this push to mass. I think, I think like this idea of making Marvel and Disney versions and stuff like this, I think that makes total sense because mass is looking for things that they can justify themselves. Well, mass because, is looking for anything to stick a license on. Right. That they can sell. Well, That's license, but also just even like grabbing something. I, this is an example from Nuremberg. I thought this was the funniest thing. And I, I've been wanting to tell this story uh for well, a while now you have um, a microphone now, so you have to listen to you. now i now i get to tell this story i was at uh this uh, after party event and i just got talking to these two brothers i said hey you know uh what do you guys do and they go uh we're just we made a game and i was like oh so you're inventors and they're like well i, I guess i wouldn't think of that it was just our childhood game we made like a thousand copies sold them uh, on like a crowdfunding thing. But now I guess like a lot of companies are courting us. And I was like, what do you mean? They're like, well, we made the sock game. And it's just, we put 20 uh, items oh, in yeah, a sock. The sock. I know, and exactly. then 20 things in another sock of matching. You spin a wheel and then whatever item, you got to reach in, grab it, pull it out. Classic, easy game. Fun. Yeah. So their childhood game, grandpa, gr you know, grandson. Everyone can play it together. Have a great time. It, they they did really nice touches with like marketing and stuff. When I got talking to them, I found out you know one of them is actually a fashion slash marketing expert. Mm -hmm. You know things like that. They did it in a way that they a made a nice product, that but they also were smart about it. They made it you know yeah. a great story. Like you oh you know you want to support the two brothers mm -hmm. and their childhood game, and mm -hmm. you know they just made a handful of copies themselves, and you could join us in making this dream come true. You know like they packaged it well. And yeah. then the neat thing is, from that, at Nuremberg, they had every big mass recording them saying, you know, sign it with us, sign it with us, we'll make it huge. And my, I laughed because some of them are sitting down and he was like, yeah, we met with, I won't say the company, but they wanted to rename it like Sneakies, 
sneaky socks or like all these different things. And they're like, no, it's the sock game. Like that's it. And like, it's funny hearing all these little ways that people are almost in essence trying to justify their job and make this game huge because they know they, you know, they got an angle. Like they want to justify this thing to make it mass. And here's just two, two dudes that just put it together brothers and said, Hey, let, let's make a run at it. We know business. Let's 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 you know try to join this new world, which is very niche, and see how you know how can we interact in there. So yeah. I mean I think that's a great example of, you know the market is so hungry. This was a Kickstarter that only did a, a handful of things, and now every mass company is like fighting to sign uh, and and, get and that's a, that's actually the point that I'm getting at is that that is that is such a interesting switch from hobby to mass right because in the hobby yeah. field. Um, so that game is the exact same game, pretty much, as a game like um, Master Fox. Master Fox, absolutely. As a game like um, um, Harry's Head. Is it Harry's Head? Where you reach into this not-filled head and you grab stuff. Yes. It. Yeah. It's basically Stereognosis the game. Stereognosis is yep. the ability to go in and without your eyes sense something. And totally. And total and feel of it, right? And that's all the game is. It's nothing... Revo- it's nothing revolutionary uh, is going back to the other thing but it's got a hook and mass likes it and it did something interesting with having the two socks where most of the games were just one big pool that you reached into uh, master fox was a shared pool harry's head you kind of reached in one at a time and so this this has some some different twist to it um that won't sell it to the hobby market at all but will totally be something that works in mass just like that game with the dental dams works with mass just like that yeah. game with pie face works with mass just like the game with the rotating um gymnast works with mass right so yeah. i mean i see all these things on Dougal's feed all the time and it's like yeah i guess people will like it <laughs> it's not hobby so, but that's the thing right we don't know so- what mass is if this, I mean, if we see more unification within uh, within the games industry, if the brains start going towards towards mass, like what's the what's the kind of product that we're going to see? I mean, we've seen Hasbro attempting to experiment by uh, getting people to do their own their own uh, kickstarters and and yep. put up their own game ideas. Like they're, oh, sorry, they're that's, that's on Indiegogo. That's on Indiegogo, Indiegogo, sorry, it's different. Indiegogo, <laughs> it's Indiegogo. See, Nate, I got your back. Nate, I've got they're, your back. They're totally in Indiegogoing their game. It just doesn't yeah. work. It doesn't know, right? work. It doesn't know, work, dude. So anyway, but like, so they're starting up these game laboratories, and this is you know this is the start of the board. This is this is where we start kind of coming coming together into into big game design. So like, where where are they going to take this? I was I was just thinking of comparing it to uh, to movies. If you see the amount of movies we're coming out coming out with nowadays. I, like all of the ones that are making money are either nostalgia or existing uh, comic book properties. Yep. It's like we're, Which is we're essentially nostalgia, right? For a lot of essentially people. nostalgia, exactly. They just want to see their favorite characters come to life. So, to what degree is it just going to be? We're going to be well, bringing it, back some old games. It, it already is. I mean, that <laughs> that is when you think about the difference between. Uh, this is how I often think about it in a very limited scope. Um, and Tanya and, and Dougal are going to like kill me when they see me next. But okay. so Mattel is toys, not games. It's toyification of games. Um, Hasbro is 
games that your grandmother buys for you because she doesn't know what else to get you. It's holiday gifts, right? And then that's what actually sells, though. That's what sells in mass is what I don't know. I know my kid likes games. I don't know what game to get them. Hey, that's a new game from a brand I understand. It's cheap because it's, you know, mass market's always cheaper. Uh, therefore, here we go. Um, and your analogy is actually really good. And, and on the feed, John and Tony, Andy, when Jesse was on, they were talking, they were actually making the analogy of the link to music and the difference between distribution and production and all that kind of stuff and how technology has made it much easier to do that. Uh, and so um, John's right now asking, is there anything happening outside of organic growth that is adding members to the board game community? And Andy, it, you know, respond with things like, YouTube, Will Wheaton, Dice Tower, all those things, all those media things are bringing people in. I, I think there's a, I think there's a few other major ones, and we've discussed it on other episodes before. But I think of an example like Pax Unplugged. I mean, yeah, people are sure. really excited about that because anyone that I've talked to that has uh, run a booth at a Pax event, sure, that event is mostly a video game crowd, but it's not that far to challenge someone to play, obviously, a board or a card game if they're already potentially playing those same games even as apps. It is or a total logical using, leap. It's a really short logical it's a leap. Real, it's a real easy launching point to say, hey, you can even have something tactical in your hands while you're leaving this show, and um, you just learned it, and you can play it, and you can share it, and you can even respond from It could even be tactile. It can be tactile. It can even kind of compensate for that screen-to-screen -screen time. Now you're getting some face-to-face -face time. So yeah. I think that's an example. I think cafes obviously are another one. And I don't yeah. mean even just game cafes. I just mean in general. Cafes where you can do stuff. Where you can just libraries. hang out and yeah. talk. Libraries. This idea of community spaces. People are hungry for interaction. Hungry for actually some catalyst of what to do together at an affordable yeah. rate. So I think that's... Also, and we, we talked about nostalgia being a selling thing, but there's also nostalgia in general. We all gamed. We all played when we were younger. Yeah, and, and when we have the opportunity to increase luxury and more spare time because technology's in theory making certain things faster, we have this idea of maybe some extra income, maybe some extra time. Mm -hmm. We're looking for ways. We're craving ways to interact with other people. Yeah. Well, then... Games are these great facilitators that give us an excuse and a reason to actually sit and stay with each other instead of being distracted and isolated. Yeah, and we sit face to face instead of side by mm -hmm. side while we're watching movies. Sir, there's some PVC pipe on my on my fingers that I used to. Do. <laughs> uh, the other thing that you mentioned with cafes is um, that they typically do start off on nostalgia. Um, mm. So a lot, like even. Uh, the one that's in KW, the, Ad the Adventurers Guild, right? That is pure sure. nostalgia in a in a in a room. Well, I was just like, you know your grandmother's basement where you played games, or whatever. Totally, right? and I was just there for Eli's fortieth. Give a shout out yep. to Eli, and you it was funny because I was talking to the owner for the Adventurers Guild, and he said, you know, people come in, and for us, what it is is the person who comes in and says, "Oh, this feels comfortable." Th that person's a loyal customer forever. Yeah, and yeah. so they don't, they don't, they're not worried about the the other cafes, especially the game cafes, because they each have their own aesthetic, their own feel, yep. and someone's going to connect there for a completely different reason. Yeah, but what I was getting at uh, in terms of the nostalgia is that if we talk about, um, and I mean, uh, in uh, the Revenge of Analog, this is what I was saying there was that um, if you go to a snakes and lattes day. 
and you see people come in that have never been there before because lots of people come to toronto have never been to a game cafe in their life they go to a snakes and they're like oh let's play monopoly and life and connect four and all these nostalgia games that they used to play when they were kids from hasbro from mattel that they got as gifts from their grandparents um bring them back into gaming and so there is that need for those gateway minus minus like not gateway games to the hobby but gateway games that get them back into gaming and then from there they go to okay let's talk to the guru and the guru will explain a simple game like cockroach poker or settlers not really that simple but that next step up in the evolution of their their game right so i think nostalgia does have a big key because if you go back to you know things like the sacred circle of play things like just developmental psychology and the idea that the play is the thing that is the job of children that we, you're right we all played as children that was what we did that's how we learned and i think in today's day and age like daryl said we're looking for a return to some playfulness to get away from the grind and what better way to do it than face to face so i think that's where a lot of marketing could go and like you know when we talked to jim and a couple other people about jim pinto about marketing and what it really means is exactly what john is saying on the feed that you have to go outside of the core demographic to really bring people in and so daryl's point about packs unplugged is super key um the other thing that's really neat daryl is that company that you and i work for a lot idw you know, they are, they should be leveraging their distribution power. They have access to something that nobody else has in the game industry through yeah. Diamond. Well, uh, and Diamond and even conversations with mass stores on a different level, right? Like you're, yeah. when, when they're used to already ordering books for Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, it's a different conversation than to say, hey, we also have a game. Yeah. You know, yeah. do you want to talk about shelving those together or even different places around your store? I mean, th I think that's one of the beauties. Add Magic's another example to me where Sherry has made some great inroads where then her products, especially because they're sometimes unique packaging or they're very small, she finds new and creative ways to get her games out there. Mm -hmm. uh, and so that, that just continues to increase the exposure where people go, I've seen that. Or, you know, you know, even a Starbucks, like, oh, I've seen a game there. Like, you know, different things like that all of a sudden I think help break uh the stigmas and also help uh kind of normalize this idea that people will buy and try a game even if they don't know it yeah, yeah and talking about market expansion i mean if you're if you're talking about something where there's really like absolute uh diffusion of the market all over the place it's, it's books and like the there's still people buying books. There's still people reading books. Amazon is still alive. There's still chapters everywhere. And, and now games are starting to get into that space. Um, yes, okay, the market is super saturated, but more people are coming in. There's more spaces where games are being are being uh, shown. And the fact is, just like you were saying, Sid, everyone, everyone plays and everyone's played a game. Like everyone's played a game. It's just a matter of bringing that back out of them. Maybe they just need to see it again. Maybe they need to see other people playing. But uh, what I was kind of interested in is like, where are we going to get these big publishers who each have their own line of cookbooks, which they know are going to be the steady cash cows that have their own line of particular novelists that they know make a good hit because of their name and their own line of experimental stuff that they go off on the side. Like, like we're already seeing with, uh, 
with Hasbro and whatnot. They've, they've kind of, they've got their main, they've got their cookbooks, they've got their experimental stuff. They've got, you know, the stuff that they're hoping to, to bring into the market and, and force into the market in the, in the coming yeah. years. It's a long-term plan. I think that is definitely, I mean, we were talking to Dougal about that three, two or three years ago. Uh, the term incubator um, mm. is something that you often, you often use in the industry not the game industry, uh, but other industries in terms of let's let's make this group be an incubator for ideas for us. Um, and we had talked about something happening along those lines um, for Hasbro, for whatever. Um, it never materialized because I think it's actually easier to do it with crowdfunding, to be honest. I actually think that's I... an interesting way of doing it. I actually think I got one uh, uh, cooking for us. Actually, I, I forgot to mention this, and maybe I'll mention it on live so that I'm so, accountable. So it becomes to it. true. So it <laughs> yes. becomes true. But I just got an email from Spin Master uh, saying that they would love to meet with the gamers, and especially in the Toronto area, and start Great. trying to think of ways to cook things up and influence change. I mean, Spin Master is another example of, you know, here's a huge game slash toy maker who's based in toronto and is like we have no interaction with and yet we have this large network of game designers and testers and all this and yet we have no connection with them and it's, it's funny, funny yeah, because we used to because <laughs> we used to through josh and his cousin actually working there so it's a, this funny like disconnect where this is sure it's a saturated market, but as we find more and more of these connections and opportunities to work together and find ways to work with each other, uh, I think that's actually going to help grow market potential. So, for instance, Spin Master yeah. is going to have inroads where they're actually looking for a little more game. Uh, one of the cool things I noticed in their booth, and I don't know if I can officially say this, but I will because who Which knows how many viewers. But at Toy Fair, yeah, yeah. inside the booth was Santorini. Mm. So that's a pretty exciting thing where yeah. it's like they clearly want to get more games that actually have some meat on the bones. Yeah. And and they know that they, they have an audience that's they've grown up to a point where that, that's an available option for them now. Yeah. I, I, I promised you something. Yeah. Oh steam bones. Steam ships. Is this is this the right time? This this may be the right time. Perfect. We're talking about innovation, right? We're talking about yeah. innovation. Oh, at, I know where you're going. At the okay. core, this is what we're talking about. 1866, Battle of Lisa between the Austro-Hungarian Empire and Italy. Yes. Uh, was the first battle in which there were kind of ironclad ships. The thing is, there was everything from wooden ships with masts to metal-sided ships with some wood to, you know, uh, all sorts of different cannon, completely and totally mixed up. The one biggest weapon that was used during that thing was the ram. And they decided from that point on that every ship should have a ram because of that. But between 1866 and uh, 1886, or even 1894, ships had, and the, the philosophies around warships had changed quite a bit. As a matter of fact, there were two competing schools, the Jeune École, which thought that many, many small guns would work very, very well. Whereas other people were the big gun school who believed that you should have very, very few large guns. The Japanese happened to have a Jeuneco fleet. And then at the Sea Battle of the Yalu in 1894, 1895, won against the Chinese who were an all big gun fleet. So people thought that this was the Jeuneco ascendant. 
completely wrong because in 1906 the dreadnought is launched and lo and behold the modern era of battleships begins between 1866 when we had absolutely no idea what was going on and we thought the rams were the next big thing to the dreadnought which actually began an, a real uh kind of form of naval warfare modern a, a, naval a warfare. revolution a revolution yeah the fact is virtually nobody had a clue that's that's <laughs> right that's, all that's the exactly tools are there right all the tools are there but the first few things we think okay we'll make an amalgam game we'll do this and we'll put it together with cardboard and it'll work just like we made amalgam ships okay we'll have both sails and screws or both sails and steam that's going to work twice as well no no it didn't you have to make it its own thing you can't just say we're done you know here we go that's innovation no it has to be completely revolutionary and that's the difference between the the ferdinand max and the hms jetnaut just jesse's arguing with you dylan he says that's an evolution <laughs> Insofar as there's no such thing as a revolution, I'd kind of agree. But the, the, the fact is, the evolution that people thought was occurring was not occurring. Like the Je ne did not, was not the next big thing. The Ram was not the next big thing. What happened was an evolution that took people by surprise. It was an unexpected evolution, which right, is right, why I'm right. saying revolution. But Jesse's right. There's only evolution. Yeah. Cool. Uh, and I, I think that does point back to board games somehow. It really does. It does. It totally does. Um, and I, I love listening to Dylan ramble about history because that's the subject that I know very little about in terms of the dates and things like that. I understand warfare and, and the mechanics of it, but I can't rattle off dates like Dylan. And so it sounds really good coming out of his pie hole, which is great. So my point in that is that I think there is like charm bracelets in board games. Sorry, that just came out from nowhere, John. <laughs> John says a, a, a revolution or an innovation could be like charm bracelets in board games. And that's funny because Jay and I actually have a game that uses charm bracelets in a board game. Nice. I was going to say, I, I, I played around with that, but... Yeah, I digress. Um, yeah, see, Jesse just said that. Yeah, yeah. It's going to be big. Um, yeah, Daryl tried that in university. Yeah, yeah. it was, wasn't... Well, you know, you know, it's funny is also this idea of cycles, right? So actually, the reason that that idea came up was Erica and I were were looking at certain trends and then when they would re repeat and trying to gamify those because you know maybe initially the product was enough, but now we're looking for ways to play with it. So, you know, something like a charm bracelet now makes a lot of sense as a way to now gamify the experience, um, maybe as a board game or card game, or maybe even on a on a bigger scale, like uh, a physical game that you might play large scale outside uh, with many people. So, yeah, and I, and I think that's another area that uh, you mentioned physical large games that we haven't really kind of broken into is you know there's other play spaces that yeah. use that could use games that aren't necessarily like the games we normally play in those spaces, but yeah. more games that the hobbyists, the hobby gamers would appreciate. So. Uh, like Mulkey and um, any of those yard games. Yep. That's a market that's kind of untapped that 
if you have bocce and moki and you know uh you know toss ladder yeah that's about it that's there that's all there is um and i think there's space for some more things in the outdoor game industry yeah there's there's a lot of mass opportunities where it's trying to take the lessons we've learned from hobby and now apply it i mean even uh one i'll give a plug um i'm doing this one with csc games and uh emblems and the idea is that i pitched it to him but he has the nhl license and so we we said well why don't we go for mass market with you know you know the grandma that's buying a game because you know exactly they 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 love hockey but what if what if the game is actually good so what if the game actually was more than just you know i you know no offense to like tops trump or something but you know you're just basically throwing cards at each other and because there's a billion brands you know that's a game i think but <laughs> but what if there was a little more that we learned from from more game meat design? on the bones right yeah yeah so wasn't that supposed to be flags at one point it is so they're doing the international version but they thought they would do the it worked out that actually this is the the anniversary so the 100th anniversary of yeah, the yeah, nhl exactly, right so you might as well use that while you got that license so because it's uh, so our our tagline is a hat trick taking game about the history of NHL logos. Nice, nice, so. nice. And is the um, is the what's the price point on it? What's the MSRP? Do you know? I don't know. This isn't the official box. We were just uh, the reason I have a copy is because Fabio was actually in town today. Oh, but okay. uh, we so were that's just not, that's not a wet copy either. That's just that's an actual printed prototype. Oh, cool. This is just yeah. This is just a Game Crafter version. So thank you, Game Crafter. Um, and and uh, that was just because uh, um, Fabio was going around New York Toy Fair trying to get you know figure out which distributors want to do orders and stuff like that. <laughs> And you said that he had a very good uh, toy fair this year, right? Yeah, a fantastic one. So very, right. so very I, interesting. I see, I see a bit of a trend change too, because uh, um, jumping off script a little bit. But uh, for instance, someone like him, he he always uh, worked a booth, and this year he did just scheduled meetings and flexed around everywhere, and he found that phenomenal. Because somewhere like New York Toy Fair, really, it's that's the type of fair where one meeting justifies the whole the whole thing and if you can go around and actually almost yeah. make that happen you can you can make more than one of those versus when you're at a booth you're kind of just waiting yeah. for it to come to you so it's like the reverse gamma it is yeah it is it really and, and i mean is. i mean really uh does does he go to dallas for the mass fair Ooh, I'm not sure. I know it goes down to Texas for something, but there's there's an actually a, a the mass market uh, buyers fair in Dallas. I can't remember I think when. There's that like a count that a one's club one as well, and there's a few different ones. So yeah, some of those are ridiculous. Like where it's like uh, Target walks by and says, "Yeah, we'll take you know, you know, seven pallets of that." Yeah. Well, you know, I I was I talking have seven pallets. <laughs> I was talking to Peter from Ad Magic at Toy Fair, and he had that story. He just said, yeah. you know, Target walked by and just they asked us to show the game. We showed it, and they're like, yeah, okay, we'll pick up, you know, a print run. Yeah. Yeah. Five <laughs> five thousand copies, no big deal. Of course, what they're going to do to you though is they set the price. Sure. That they're going to buy at, and so you but have still, to say, can still I a make game it changer. at that price. It, right. it is if you can make it at that price. And the the thing it. about Ad Magic is they can because exactly. <laughs> They kind of set the price, right? So they're in a really good boat for that kind of thing, which means it reminds me of to call Peter about a game nice. <laughs> or something, right? Um, anything else we want to talk about? 
Well, I, I I'd like to give a plug to Breakout Con. Anyone, if you oh, if yeah. you're in the Toronto area, um, and you you don't know about this, you need to be there. Um, honestly, you can just pick up a day pass, twenty five bucks. You know, Saturday or Sunday. Uh, it does start on the Friday, but maybe you're working, so you can't make that work. Just come for a day. Twenty five yeah. bucks. Yeah, Dylan, just come for a while. day. It's just twenty five bucks. Just a day. Awesome. That's just for great. a day. Just jump on one of those secret jets. Yeah, it's, jump on a secret jet. There are uh, no yeah. secret jets. It's no such thing. It's, it doesn't exist. <laughs> Come for it to break out con. Uh, and, and I'll just put this this out here right now. If you're a designer um, and you feel that you're, uh, you're, you're underrepresented, uh, yes. come talk to me. Come talk to Eric. Uh, come talk to Daryl. Erica will be there. Pam will be there. So a bunch of designers, uh, you know. Tim Brown will be there. Tim I think Brown Daniel, Helena, and Josh. Um, Jonathan Lavely will be there. Chris yes. Chubb will be there. So there's there's women. Uh, Peter Hayward will be there. There's people LBG, uh, DQ. There's people of color. We all design, and we'd love to help you do whatever you want to do. Uh, so feel free to come talk to us. Everybody at BreakCon that is a designer that I know personally would have no problem whatsoever talking to anybody. Oh, they love They'd love it. Yeah. So come on out and we'll see you guys there. Um, yeah, Tony, you need, to, you need to get a passport, buddy. <laughs> yeah, you do. But I hope your move to Portland goes smoothly. I'm yeah, especially if you're up in Portland. You really need a passport. You're actually really very close to Canada if you get up there. It is true. This is it very is. true. Yeah. So... Um, I guess it's about that time. Yeah, it's about that time, my friends. Four forty. Yeah. We can say goodbye. Say goodbye to the feed, Dylan. You want to roll us out, dudes? It's been awesome. We were talking about the future. We were talking about the past. We we're talking about stuff. Pretty awesome. Uh, actually, can we can we just like give a quick five second prediction each of us before yeah. before we go off? All right, let's let's go, Daryl. Uh, I think uh, J.R. Honeycutt is going to be a very busy man developing all the legacy games. Everyone's going to want a legacy game, and they won't be able to afford Rob Davio, so they will. They'll get. They'll get. Did you, did you seriously just call J.R. Honeycutt the poor man's Rob Davio? Yes, absolutely. He he is the discount. The discount Davio. Discount salmon, Rob Davio. Discount Davio. Awesome, yeah. awesome. All right, okay. send your prediction. Oh, okay. Well, uh, I'm going to rub my magic crystal water bottle here and look into the future. And I see uh, in the future more call for social games that are deep, like actual games, <laughs> but that have yep. that social uh, function to them. Yeah. Um, so the, but, and not deep in the way that you think of, like, you know, Dudes on a map, deep cardboard from heck deep. But I mean, deep in the way that there's there's more gameplay in it. That's what that's what I'm seeing in the future. So nice. look at that. I'm also seeing some really good games coming out in the future that are based on intellectual properties, and those games don't suck. Yeah, that's what I'm seeing mm. in the future. I, that that sounds good. And Very I think good. that'll really help broaden the market as well. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think my prediction, I'm going to go with consolidation and a deeper rift between people who went mainstream and the people who are true gamers right. in the real niche games. Interesting. Anyway, yeah. thank you, everyone, for uh, for showing up today. And uh, thanks, Sen. Thanks, Daryl, for having me on. And uh, until next time. Au revoir. Au revoir. Au revoir.